Hello, friends. Solos here with Beyond the Verse Star Citizen podcast. We're going to start this episode a little differently. It's come to my attention uh, that a lot of you really enjoy our introduction. Um, it's about 30 to 45 seconds, and I get a lot of really good feedback on its production value. Little do most people know that it's part of a larger production, about a minute, minute and a half. And I'm going to start today's episode by showcasing that. It's also episode zero, our trailer uh, in the podcasting lineup. But again, just wanted to share this in episode 41. I would love to hear your thoughts on the overall uh, quality on what you think about this. So we'll listen to this, enjoy the transition, and we'll get into episode 41. Here we go. All systems active. Launch sequence activated. Five. Four. Three. listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium Games, Star Citizen, and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Hello, friends, and welcome to Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast. I'm your host, Solus. On this week's episode, we will be discussing all things monthly reports. So we'll be going through the Star Citizen monthly report, the Squadron 42 monthly report, and in between and after, we'll go through the January subscriber flare, a quick patch note to the EPTU, an update to the Arena Commander schedule, uh, the game mode schedule, and then we will end with the lore drop of the Whitley's Guide over the Reliant. So stand by for a very fun-filled podcast. We have some work to do. It's uh, it's gonna feel very techy and develop e developer e. I just made up a word and I'm rolling with it. Um, there's a lot to go through in uh, feedback in the previous 40 episodes. I have heard that we enjoy going through line by line. I'm torn. I continuously am torn between whether or not to give an abbreviated version of the patch notes or to read line by line and go through my reactions um, as I see fit. And so for this episode, we're going to go line by line. I'm going to react to it. But in our Spotify Q&A, I will ask for the feedback on whether or not you want an abridged version of the patch notes moving forward. So please let us know. But let's hear from our sponsors real quick and then we'll get into our community updates for this week. 
All right, welcome back. So, last week we had a dear friend of mine, Space Tomato, on. It was a phenomenal conversation. We covered his reactions to 2023 or 2953 um, and his predictions and how he's feeling about this year, uh, 2024 or 2954. So we didn't get into any of the community updates last week. So we're gonna go back. We're gonna go back two weeks. We're gonna look at the Org Night Q&A um, from Jump Town, and then we'll get into episode 39's Q&A, and then we'll get into Org Night 3's um, Q&A and so forth. But we'll go pretty quick through this. It, it is my due diligence to the community, as I say in every episode, if you wanna be part of the conversation, do these steps. And so here is my um, here's my due diligence. So back on, uh, we're calling it bonus episode ON02, Organite02, we're calling Jump Town. I asked, what is your favorite moment on this Organite? Uh, we had a, a member of our organization named Dustin Thames says, as usual, DRock's injury and death is always the highlight of the night. I know that really doesn't mean much to the other 800 people uh, who will listen to this in the next week, but um, in short, DRock is actually my in real life brother, and it's absolutely hilarious. If Star Citizen is going to happen, it's going to happen to DRock in, in the most weird, crazy ways. Like, we're in a terraformed planet, takes off his helmet to drink, and he dies from asphyxiation. Totally blew up that word but choking <laughs> asphyxiation. I don't know. Let me look at that later. But anyways, he dies from that. He dies from getting hit in the head by a, um, I think it was like a 32 SCU container that was being moved on the reclaimer. Uh, it's always something hilarious that happens to him. And it's usually just kind of a weird one-off. I say that I think it's important for the conversation because again, star citizen is better with friends. It is better with friends. These org nights that we're having on Thursday nights are gold, are gold. Last night we had ours, it's episode four, or ON04. We did the Arena Commander and we tested out Control and some of the other, uh, it's actually gonna be a segment here in the podcast in a couple minutes. Uh, but we tested a couple of the Arena Commander modes out with 12 of us and it got insane very quickly. <laughs> um, so I think that's a really awesome call out. Like, D-Rock, my brother, I love you, but sometimes the way you die cracks me up and makes the game for me. <laughs> so that was Orgnite02. Let's go into episode 39, uh, which was year in review. Um, I asked, what is your favorite memory of 2023? We had a listener named Joe respond and say, making absurd cash in a reclaimer, the nerf will be huge. Absolutely. The Reclaimer is one of the best ways and the most fun ways. Um, it's the salvaging loop, obviously, but you can make millions quickly soloing the Reclaimer. Now, it's a lot of work to get up from your seat and go all the way to the back and conduct mission, but um, it is it is fun and peaceful nonetheless. So absolutely agree with you, Joe. Again, with Dustin Thames in our organization, he's wondering Mar Marauder uh, states, finally finding an org to call home. Star Citizen truly is better with friends. And yes, he is part of Soul Provision, so thank you so much. I did not pay you to say that, but it kind of sounds like I did. 
Dakota Riley, also in our Soul Provision organization, states getting involved in org nights with Soul Provision crew and testing out Pyro, who managed to get in the first day just by luck of the lottery system with the digital goodies pack. So yes, Soul Provision, any organization, this is not a podcast to recruit into that org, um, but any organization is going to make the game infinitely better for you. So get in, get involved. Um, and when you do get in, be engaged, right? Go to these org nights, because that is what's going to make all the difference in the world. And I think I asked a poll, let's go back to this. Absolutely. I asked, what was your favorite patch update in 2023? 66.7% said the very last one, 322 Rex to Riches. And then 33.3% said Mission Ready, which was patch 321. Makes sense, right? Every patch is hopefully better than the last. You would you would hope and you would think. <laughs> and 322 Rex to Riches is the patch that we're currently in in this moment. Quickly moving, uh, Org Night 3, we called Bounty Hunter. Uh, I don't think I asked, I did not ask anything for Org Night 3, so let's get into last episode, episode 40, Star Citizen in 2024 with Space Tomato. Um, this had a lot of involvement. I loved everything about this, but I asked the question, how have content creators like Space Tomato enhanced your Star Citizen experience? Here we go. Listener Dakota Riley. Content creators are vital to my knowledge of the game. I don't have time to read everything CIG posts, but listening and watching videos helps me keep up with all the latest news and lore drops. Absolutely, and I think that ties into what I said at the beginning of the podcast. Going line by line kind of feels tedious for me, but the feedback I'm hearing from the listeners is more of it. Give me more because I'm driving for eight hours and would love to know more about what CIG is producing. So we're going to keep that until uh, you respond to the Q&A of this episode and tell me otherwise. <laughs> All righty. We had uh, another listener. Um, I believe it's Groza. Yep, Groza. Uh, he's part of the org. Good friend of ours. Hilarious states i am easily distracted i go to the website and read about lore etc but halfway through an article i end up getting distracted and buying more paints <laughs> uh help me learn by listening so that that's hilarious yeah i do the same thing even as a, a an advocate of lore um I, I will, I will, I'll get into a long two or three pager and get about halfway through it. I'm like, you know what? Let me go see what Spectrum is all about. <laughs> and I'll go chat with some friends on Spectrum or in Discord. I get totally distracted very easily. Totally understand, girls. I'm with there. I'm with you there. Last listener, Dustin Thames, as someone who doesn't have a ton of time to play the game regularly, let alone keep up with everything flowing out of CIG, CCs or content creators play a huge role in helping me stay abreast of the latest news. Much love, um, much love. I this is why I started podcasting uh, eight years ago, six years ago, eight years configuration, but six years ago. This is why I got started. It was the drive from Austin, Texas to Lubbock, Texas. And if you're unfamiliar, that's like a six to eight hour drive. Um, and I just started getting bored with the same music over and over again. So I decided to get into podcasting, like listening to podcasts. I discovered Joe Rogan. Um, then, you know, obviously a, 
it's it's political um good or bad it's it's political news political interviews or social news social interviews and i really just wanted a game because that was my passion and my passion at the time was elder scrolls online and so that's how i got into some of those content creators and the rest is history so that was the intent um, of the last six years and my intent with beyond the verse is bringing you either closer to a content creator like space tomato or to cig whether it's an interview like galactica um, or to the patch notes and updates so that you can have something to listen to throughout the week love how the sentiment is being uh understood we'll go with that <laughs> and as far as the polls go i asked when will we see pyro uh, i made some pretty lofty uh predictions at the end of that episode <laughs> i wanted to see what y'all thought about pyro alpha 4.0 55.6 voted summer of 2024 interesting me and space think it's um q4 like around Citizen Kind, but the summer 2024, I'll take it. I hope y'all are right. 33.3% said Q4 of 2024, and then 11.1% say H1, or the first half of 2025. So there you have it. Again, at the end of every single episode on Spotify, you can go and answer these Q&As and polls. I encourage you to do so. Again, last time I'll say this, at the end of this episode, I would love to hear whether or not you want the patch notes, um, the monthly reports, read line by line with feedback, or if you want an abridged or an abbreviated version. Okay, let's get into Inside Star Citizen, sharing my screen for those of you on YouTube. Uh, we're, we're just going to go straight into it. I'm not going to pronounce that. I, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest or predict it's Shea Sulin. I'm going to go with Shay Sulin. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Hi, everyone, and happy 2954. Thank you for making 2953 an amazing year, both in and out of the verse. We hope you had a great end to the year. We're excited for what's to come in 2954 and can't wait to share our plans for this year and beyond. In the meantime, enjoy Star Citizen 2023 A Year in Review on YouTube. We also want to congratulate everyone who participated in the recent Luminalia greeting card contest. We have received hundreds of submissions, and it wasn't easy to pick winners as your creativity and editing skills were top-notch. Check out the festive winning submissions on Spectrum. If you thought 2023 was a tremendous year, strap in for 2024, as we have some extraordinary milestones to achieve together. Our teams are back in the studios with renewed vigor from the break, and we are already working hard on Alpha 323, which we will talk more about in the coming weeks. Break. I hope that's like an inside star citizen coming up, because I want to know what 323 is all about, and not the leaked version of what people think from a bar citizen that Alpha 323 is going to be. Back to the article. The action-packed Daymar Rally returns on January 20th. Whether you're wheels on ground for this 510-kilometer race or just enjoying Twitch chat, don't miss the fun. The Crux Cup is also returning. It is a series of four Persistent Universe ship races throughout the month of March. Sign up now and enter the race. Clearing my throat. And lastly, we're happy to share that the Bar Citizen World Tour 
tour (laughs) will continue in 2024. Just like before, we want to hear from you about where we should visit. Feel free to fire off a direct message to our community team on Spectrum, and we'll make sure to add it to our list of locations to consider. Read more about Bar Citizen World Tour 2024 here. Now let's see what's going on this week. Skipping down to the list of items. Tuesday, we had a lore post, Whitley's Guide, the MISC, or the MISC Reliant. We had the subscriber newsletter and comm link that we will go over, um, which I loved this month's items, flair and perks. On Wednesday, we had the monthly reports, the Star Citizen monthly report, and then the Squadron 42 monthly report emailed to us. Which, that's, that's interesting. I've always been curious why the Squadron 42 monthly reports don't come via Comlink the way Star Citizens does. It's kind of, I was waiting. I was waiting around on Comlink, hitting refresh, waiting for, you know, Squadron 42s to populate. And it was in my mailbox, like, several hours beforehand. Just curious why they would sec- separate that. Anyways, Thursday, so this is yesterday, we had the Arena Commander schedule that was released on Comlink. And again, that was perfect timing because the Org Knight was based around Arena Commander, uh, and we had some knowledge going into that. So, a busy week one. I mean, I know we are in week two um, of 2024, like, I get it, uh, but this is their first week back in the office. I feel like there was a lot of information uh, that came out, right? The subscriber information, the patch notes, the Arena Commander, all that was was phenomenal as, again, a step one in the, per- in the process. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so the Star Citizen Monthly Report. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen again. There's a lot of information here. Um, there is one piece about the Polaris that I think is super interesting that's going to excite a lot of people. Um, but if you don't want to listen to every line by line, feel free to go into the notes or the, the section below, either the video or on Spotify, and choose the chapter to skip forward to. You don't necessarily have to listen to the next several minutes, but we will go line by line to make sure that you are well informed on what they have accomplished and sit Con. This is basically a combination of November and December. So here we go. AI for content. And I'm only going to respond so we get through this quickly. I'm only going to respond when I think there's a valuable reaction to it. So here we go. AI for content. AI content spent the end of the year bug fixing to improve social AI. Once in a more robust state, they'll start implementing various Squadron 42 features and behaviors. In the meantime, they revive the civilian behavior. This involved fixing basic AI usables, such as chairs, seats, and rails across various locations and identifying outdated usable setups and communicating with the props team to bring them up to date. Voice packs and basic behaviors were updated for the hawker, vendor, admin, and bartender AI across different stations and landing zones. Now NPCs will have the proper voice packs assigned to them with their behaviors triggering lines correctly. NPCs will also use their usables correctly with better animations rather than just standing still. However, some shops might not have the full functionality due to lacking proper usables. The team also identified and fixed a selection of security AI bugs in Loreville's transit area. This involved implementing some of Squadron 42's security behaviors, including sentry and guards, and giving NPCs appropriate voice packs. Finally, 
AI content worked with the level design to implement Squadron 42's engineer and security behaviors across different areas with limited functionality. Break. You will notice a theme throughout this entire series of updates where Squadron 42 assets are being implemented into Star Citizen. That is the gold nugget. And anything that I could tell you, any sort of descriptor, that is what I need you to get out of this. With Squadron 42 going into the polishing phase, it's now being implemented into what we are seeing in Star Citizen. And you're seeing it happen through these notes and you're going to be seeing it happen or deploy in H1 of 2024. Questions about that, you can go to the last episode and listen. <laughs> All right, here we go. AI features. This one's semi-long. Clearing my throat. As part of the Alpha 322 release, AI features spent time investigating issues, preventing the improved combat behavior from working as intended during missions, including slow-reacting AI. Slow-reacting AI is kind of the theme of this section. Quote, like the infamous standing on chairs issue that we saw at CitizenCon, AI being slow to react doesn't have a single cause, but highlights a range of issues that appear to manifest as the same problem. Each cause needs to be individually investigated and a solution proposed, and often this requires hours of testing and debugging to find the precise conditions under which the specific issue occurs. Often issues are intermittent or only manifest in specific missions at specific locations, end quote. The team are aiming to reduce the amount of time it takes to debug these issues via three approaches. Number one, improve knowledge of the AI debugging tools, particularly among the QA team, so that when an issue is first encountered, all the right information is available. This can often highlight issues with specific mission or location setups that don't require further debugging. For example, missing or badly placed navigation mesh, missing animations, or poor server frame rates. The second is speed up the process of getting to the right location. If an issue only occurs in a specific spot during a certain mission, the team need to be able to quickly reproduce it rather than waiting for the mission and location combination to line up as part of the normal flow. When investigating issues, one of the biggest time sinks is flying to the location, even using the no-clip god mode, so they're looking at providing teleport functionality to active mission locations. Finally, when they've identified a cause that might occur again, they'll improve the debugging tools to highlight it so that they can more easily identify subsequent occurrences. For the Alpha 322 release, AI features worked on several causes of slow reacting AI, including Fixing an issue where increases where increases in the AI perception meter were not being recognized in the general reaction function, causing NPCs to, quote, hang in a reaction idle animation. Fixing an issue where AI weren't exiting the investigate, uh, investigate behavior correctly due to not checking the current target. Debugging an issue where the hostility and perception systems weren't correctly encapsulating the specific requirements for hostility in a particular mission and location. However, this requires a better specification of the intended design and will come with plan improvements to the hostility system. The team are also investigating if they can add a hotfix to work around this issue in the next release. 
These aren't the only slow reacting AI issues, so the team will continue to investigate and fix issues in subsequent releases while ensuring they maintain the improved combat functionality. AI features also worked on AI issues identified with the replication layer. This is important. Listen closely. The replication layer is a core component of server meshing, allowing the AI to migrate between servers or restore their state after a server crash. The team identified that when the AI was serialized back from the replication layer, its observable state, whether it's alive, dead, unconscious, etc., was not correctly restored, which led to issues, obviously. For example, the AI thinking another agent was dead and not trying to attack them. As part of this fix, the team are making the switch between these states more consistent and less ad hoc by tying it more closely with the status component that controls when the switch occurs. So break, sorry, break. <laughs> this is not part of the article. Um, so we know that right now replication layer is what is needed to move forward with server meshing. That That's it, right? So object container streaming, OCS, persistent entity streaming, PES, people forget replication layer is like that middle step right then you got server meshing and then dynamic server meshing those are the pillars of the tech that they are creating so we absolutely need the replication layer to be worked on before we can expect server meshing and alpha 4.0 back to the article the rest i think are pretty short that was probably the longest one if i remember correctly so here's ai tech <clears throat> At the end of the year, AI Tech progressed with features and support for release builds. For Boyds, they're close to finalizing the first iteration that will allow the designers to place fish, rodents, and birds in the environment. Fish, rodents, and, and birds in the environment. Like, that's going to be so much fun. Um, I, I've had videos recorded in the last couple of days that I posted on TikTok um, that are just beautiful landscapes, the sun rising, reflecting, and refracting off of the, the ocean. How amazing would it be to throw in birds and animals? Um, I immediately think of like frames per second dropping immediately. <laughs> when when that happens so i think optimization is going to be important and very much needed uh, but i cannot wait to see the environment and the world filled with nature back to the article recent updates include rules to avoid dangerous areas or actors transition rules that will detect weapons fired bullets hit and the ability to switch from idle or wandering to a fleeing rule set the team also further iterated on killing boyd's agents and how they transition from an animation-driven state to ragdoll. For birds, they extended the number of wandering states. For example, besides flying, birds can also walk after a landing transition. Uh, synchronization between the server and client is currently being worked on. Effort was also put into optimizing and improving various features, including the Pathfinder algorithm, collision avoidance system, navigation system, and subsumption loading logic. I go back to that navigation system, please. Like, that needs to happen yesterday. <laughs> For Apollo Tools, AI Tech continued to support the designers with additional functionality, including the ability to create PNG files from behaviors, improved readability for subsumption flow graph nodes, and improved undo-redo actions. Several existing features were polished and finalized, including NPCs utilizing trolleys, which received improved collision avoidance. 
This was achieved by updating the PID controller logic and how it's used for path following when NPCs are pushing trolleys. For AI using ladders, I thought this was interesting. New functionality was added. For example, NPCs can now check if the ladder is available and will only use it if free or another NPC is climbing it in the same direction. In case the ladder is being used in the opposite direction, NPCs will find a free spot at the top or bottom and wait. That's going to be exciting. I know it seems like such low-hanging fruit, but like you think about um, you think about having NPCs on your ship, like helping run your, you know, Origin 890 jump, right? You're going to have those quote-unquote helpers um, when you go to these derelict sites and you're seeing the NPCs just kind of standing around. It's going to be awesome to see these NPCs actually interacting with the environment and going up and down, um, you know, the derelict sites. I think that's going to be super aesthetically pleasing. On the ship AI side, the team improved and extended spline functionality. This involved allowing ships to move along a spline while staying orientated toward the target and moving to the beginning of a spline that's already moving. An example, a spline attached to a different ship. Toward the end of the year, AI tech started to look for a better solution to generating navigation mesh on planets. Yes as the current implementation could be faster and as problems generating navigation mesh close, mesh close to planetary poles, which is affecting some outpost locations and their associated NPCs. This is currently in progress and an update will be provided in a future report. Um, navigation mesh on planets. This is this kind of ties into that conversation of having um, roaming patrols around a bunker. Um, we need navigation mesh to really get again that that involvement and interaction and feeling of the environment around you. So navigation mesh is a, a very important um, tech initiative. As you can see on the screen, the rest are going pretty quick. So here we go. Animation. Animation spent time bringing creatures to the verse, starting with a four-legged predator. It, it just says four-legged predator. Uh, a bird and fish. They also continue to work on facial animation for increased line count and fidelity. I can't wait to see the animals. I'm, I'm, I'm curious what the four-legged predator is. I wonder if it's like an alien um, or something that's not, you know, common or real and they just don't have a name for it yet moving on art characters in november december character art completed the legendary duster outfit and the racing flight suit helmet they continue working on the racing flight suit itself and prepared an outfit for subscriber flair alongside this r&d was done for creatures the character concept art team started an exploration phase on features for the character customizer and for other creatures in last night's org event, uh, one of our friends mentioned um, they wish they would uh, put in more like aliens and species. Well, here you go. I'm, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes into this report and it's all about creatures and the uh, additional efforts being put into that. So awesome. Art ships toward the end of the year, the RSI Polaris passed its white box review gate. Yes, and progressed into the gray box phase where all of the surface modeling and animations will be completed. Emphasis was on modularity for the interior to improve reuse and scalability. Here we go, guys. All right, so so white box, the phases, white box into gray box. Uh, I mean, 
once you get into gray box and you start getting into LOD zeros or the level detail zero, um, we call them lodos, but when you get into like the lodo aspect of it, like that's the RSA Polaris could very possibly come out in 2024 this year. Now the gray box phase takes a while. It, it is a long process. It is wishful thinking that we would get the Polaris so soon, but that's exciting to see. <laughs> it's exciting to see such a large and anticipated ship getting into gray box. Back to the article. Work started on the gold standard pass for the Aegis Saber Raven, which includes a component pass and dashboard polish. Basically, the gold standard pass is like the final. It's final, it's stamped, right? It's stamped for approval, it's ready to be published. If anything, like communicated to modeling, you know, companies to, to produce the 3D model rendering, right? Like it's so official that they're ready to put their name behind it. So gold standard is is basically saying that the Aegis Saber Raven is pretty much good to go and complete. Three new variants were worked on. One entered production, another continued through Greybox, and the last progressed into Lodo, or level of detail zero. November also saw work wrap up on the Gaddix Sulin and structural salvage support on the Aegis Reclaimer. Down to community. November and December were busy months for the community team who supported Pyro on the preview channel for the first time. The team was incredibly grateful for all of the positive feedback and had a blast gathering sentiment around Star Citizen's second system. Alongside general housekeeping related to winding down CitizenCon 2953, the team uploaded all panels from the event onto YouTube, along with chapters and timestamps and published community pictures of the life-size Drake Dragonfly taken on Saturday and Sunday at the event. Communities supported the return of the Intergalactic Aerospace Expo and Associated Freefly, publishing the IAE 2953 FAQ and Guide to Professions and Design Convention Badge Contests. They also continued to connect with citizens across the globe at a variety of Bar Citizen events alongside planning for the 2024 Bar Citizen World Tour. On screen, you're seeing all these pictures being posted. I can't really describe the pictures to you on podcasts, so we're going, we're skipping over them. The team worked with the player experience group to highlight a selection of test universe champions who contributed significantly to the recent round of patch testing. This initiative will continue in future patches with new categories each cycle. December saw the community team embrace the tradition of Luminalia, including a referral promotion and a Luminalia greeting card contest with extra rewards. They also teamed up with the Intel and CLX Gaming and CLX Gaming to give away Star Citizen game packages along with the exclusive Saber Raven ship to five lucky winners and a custom Saber Raven PC during the DreamHack Gaming Festival in Atlanta. The team then supported the release of Alpha 322 Rex to Riches. Alongside the player experience team, they tracked and directed player feedback on the latest features and discussed solutions to bugs and quality of life issues with the development teams. They also updated the salvage and repair guide to help players better understand the new gameplay introduced with structural salvage. Last but not least, the team has started working on CitizenCon 2954. More on that later. Break. So that uh, that Squadron 42 launch party themed CitizenCon 2954 <laughs> is probably going to be announced uh, at the end of January, beginning of February, I think. That 2953 Citizen Con was announced around that time last year. Um, I don't, I don't remember because I, I think 
think they announced it at like the beginning to middle part of Q1. And then I think the CitizenCon tickets went on sale at the beginning of Q2. So we're kind of expecting the same rollout, or I'm expecting the same sequence of events. Here we go, economy. November and December saw the economy team finish price balancing armors and vehicles. They then began looking into the prices of FPS weapons as part of balancing the wider economy to bring all systems together. A contextual inventory inheritance was designed to tag items in shops that will allow them to more easily rebalance prices too. The team worked on the economic implications of freight elevators, yay, and started balancing the time and cost of using them. Yes. Guys, I there's not a lot more I'm excited about than the, the freight elevators. That's, that is a game changer. They also investigated UEC income and began taking actions to prevent exploits and rebalance mission rewards, and investigated exploits relating to ship claim time and prices. Features. All right, here we go. Some of my favorite sections. Arena Commander, so Features Arena Commander. Throughout November and December, the Features team focused on closing out essential refactors and polished tasks before they transitioned to supporting the Persistent Universe in a more permanent capacity. They also supported upcoming special events and the Alpha 322 release. Engineering completed work on the Kill Collector experimental modes for Alpha 322, including a system that allows devs to replace the collection item depending on both the game mode and active events. Further work was done on the special events and award systems, including prerequisite requirements allowing the team to implement exclusive awards. This work also included the addition of unique loading screens, backgrounds, and a banner that displays on the front end when an event or experimental mode is active, the latter including a countdown until the next rotation. Experimentation also began with an in-game FPS loadout customizer utilizing the new spawn screen. For engineering, the team successfully completed the initial tests of enabling streaming in Arena Commander. This will enable them to deliver improved performance to the module and use any persistent universe location without limitations. Previously, some locations, such as ones near cities, were unable to be used without significant additional work. With streaming the turnaround on portion the turnaround on portion oh lord, with streaming the turnaround on porting any location to Arena Commander will be minimal. Good God. Design supported work for Kill Collector, Duo Showdown, and other game modes and special events for Alpha 322 and beyond, alongside a number of quality of life updates and polish to the front end, spawn screen, and multi-crew systems. They also began planning for the year ahead. Level Design completed work on three new racetracks, with one more in progress, for a new game mode. A brand new track around the pyro jump point, yes, was also created specifically to test the new master modes, Classic Race, game mode for Alpha 322. The team created a prototype game mode that saw a successful playtest and will be further worked upon in 2024 as well. Finally, the team completed a new Gravlev racing game mode, which was debuted at DreamHack Atlanta. One of the things about Pyro I'm looking forward to is is Arena Commander in Pyro. So Pyro is so beautiful, but there's this 
uh, I don't want to get into the whole debate on whether or not PvP and griefing and all that crap, but Pyro is going to bring out probably the worst in a lot of gamers. <laughs> um, so having Arena Commander, but 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 it's beautiful. But it's a beautiful system that has a lot to love about it, right? Solar flares, the different type of I'm, I'm going to call them biomes, but um, the way planets look and feel, right? Arena Commander is going to be important for those who don't necessarily want uh, to be subject to PvP 24-7, right? So it's going to be exciting to see those roll out. Here we go. Back to the article. Features Mission. My favorite section. In November, the features team began implementing a deadline system within a few missions across the verse, which will ensure missions can't be kept indefinitely if the accepted players are not engaging with them. This is for a few reasons. For example, players can lock out other missions and, narratively, it doesn't make sense that a contractor would wait five hours for players to kill someone when they know their exact position. However, this is not a universally implemented system. Each mission's deadline will be individually considered. Break. I love it. I absolutely love the, I'm going to call it realism. But the expectation, if I give you a contract, go execute it. Don't, I'm not going to give you a contract and then you go do salvaging and mining and then you're going to go free fly and, you know, ex explore. I need you to, I need you to conduct that contract. I need you to execute it, right? Um, so I fully support this. Now, the trade-off is that deadline, it, it depends, right? If you're in Stanton, uh, and your contract is out in pyro, but you don't necessarily have the fastest ship to get there, um, you might be racing a clock. And I've never been a fan. This is just me and my personal gaming um, opinion. I've never been a fan of, of like the timing constraint, right? It, it's just, it's anxiety I don't need in my life. <laughs> uh, anyways, another podcast at another time. Here we go. The Steel Recover mission continued to be polished and variants are currently being made. The new player experience was also polished, with the team adding new parts to introduce some of the more important in-game systems. The team then tuned, turned, to cleaning up and polishing the existing infiltrate and defend missions, and with Data Heist's release, the team kicked off a counter mission using one of the modular missions. Jump Town saw changes to how players engage in combat while the journey started to make each location feel unique. In December, missions features began prototyping a time trial foot race that's awesome to utilize more of the ledge grab v2 feature finally converting missions to use the freight elevator began for example blockade runner xeno thread and other missions are being assessed to determine what needs to, uh, what needs to be updated to ensure they align with the new feature ahead of its release yes freight elevators yes all right we're almost done graphics vfx programming and planet tech at the end of 2023, the graphics team largely progressed with their longer-term tasks. For example, work continued on improving the visual quality of gas clouds through the addition of a directional occlusion effect. 
The gas cloud system output is also being unified with the planetary cloud system so that the new cloud upscaling solution can be used by both. The global illumination team added support for transparency via a dense view frustum, frustum? frustum voxel grid of low resolution probes, along with a sparser zone space grid of higher resolution probes. Work is also ongoing to improve the representation of materials in the ray tracing system. That was a mouthful. All right. Vulcan is reaching the final stages of development with the team wrapping up the last of their rendering tech. Ongoing work is targeting uh, reducing stutter by working on shader PSO compilation, caching, and general performance polishing before the initial release. The Planet Tech team continued wrapping up the water feature, focusing on robustness, memory usage, and performance. Alongside this, the graphics team improved the water edge effects against both the environment and visor camera lens. VFX programming worked toward finishing off fire hazard visuals, investigated networking support for the fire hazard system, and added support for water VFX. On the tools side, support is being added for unique IDs associated with each particle effect to allow robust referencing and the reorganization of effects. All right, narrative, R&D, tech art animation, and VFX. Almost there, almost there. Narrative. The end of the year brought with it a flurry of activity for the narrative team as they worked to close out strong and set themselves up for an even better 2954. November was host to IAE, which featured immersive career dioramas on the show floor and new vids from security professional Garmin Humble and social media influencer Molly. For the release of Alpha 322, the team worked on supporting a wide range of new features such as structural salvage, derelict settlements, cargo containers, arena commander additions, and a variety of Luminalia items, including the holiday favorite biscuit, Ringlings. The team also worked on the development of the Santakiai, with a focus on the Xi'an language and lore. You jerks in your Xi'an language. <laughs> Looking ahead, the team planned upcoming work for the PU, including new missions that will be more narratively focused, yes, and discussed how best to utilize guilds and factions as players progress to earn reputation. Time was also dedicated to improving the generalized NPC voice pack to streamline it, excuse me, <clears throat> to streamline it and make it more functional with an eye toward making the universe more immersive while still manageable for the scope of star citizen. As always, a selection of lore posts was featured on the RSI website. A look back at the Banu first contact with Jerry, a November Galactopedia update, lore makers community questions, and at the end of the year, a December Galactopedia update. Research and development, R&D. In November and December, the R&D team spent a significant amount of time on the temporal render mode for atmosphere and clouds. As a result, the first WIP version, work in process, version of advanced history rejection, as well as refined disocclusion, occlusion, <laughs> detection, and preparation of dilated motion vectors was submitted. More research went into the upsample and history blend process to achieve highly detailed results that match the reference full resolution render output as much as possible. I think like R&D and like tech is where like my brain just shuts off. <laughs> it's good information, but I'm like, I don't know what half of this even means. Um, I know most of it, but there's some of it I'm, I'm just not even, I'm not even like privy to. 
For ground fog, experimental support for fog density maps was added and is currently in review with TechArt. The signal encoding and reconstruction code for volumetric cloud shadows received a fix to minimize ringing artifacts occasionally visible in areas where unattenuated. <clears throat> unattenuated sunlight first hits clouds. The atmosphere light pass received refined irradiance estimates based on community feedback, which had reported that the bottom of ships approaching a planet in higher orbit were almost entirely black as opposed to receiving reflected ground light. Aside from the work on visuals, which I'm to go back to that last sentence, I'm pretty sure we saw that in CitizenCon, the new lighting and how things on the back end, actually, actually I know for a fact it was on CitizenCon. They were in a room and they were showing how light fills a room. And it's not so much how the light is casted on a subject, it's what light is available behind that subject. It was very interesting to see. It's something that we take for granted, I think as gamers and just you know the consumer, but seeing the difference side by side of when that back end shadow gets lit, uh, was super, super interesting to see. Back to the article. Aside from the work on visuals, various improvements were also implemented to the post-mortem crash analysis tool, which processes reports submitted via internal testing, as well as the PU and PTU. The tool now supports the deduping of call stacks for all threads in a process and sorts them so that the important threads are listed at the top. The tool now also supports dumps written by fast-linked binaries. Additional support is planned to capture and extract auxiliary, auxiliary call stacks from memory corruptions, specifically double deletes and writes after free events. Those will then be used for issue deduplication in Sentry to allow the coalescence of memory crashes much more effectively. Good God, I have no idea what I just read. Let's let's try tech art and animation. Here we go. <laughs> the technical animation team spent the end of the year on deliverables for the content teams across both projects. These include an outfit manager that will pull together a full set of assets for any character outfit in game, which will help the animation teams author specific content. Previously missing from the pipeline, physics proxy tools creation was added for an intuitive and streamlined way to create physicalized skeletons in Maya. An animation events editor was also added to keep audio linked to animations across projects. New ADB diff tools also help the devs track and diagnose problems with complex XML format files that need historical context to be useful. A replacement for a very old toolset that validates content being exported from Maya Maya was created. Quote, We're now in a position to add to the tests and potentially change some low-level paradigms to enable exploration of new pipeline possibilities. End quote. Additionally, technical animation authored and fixed more head assets, refined existing pipelines, continued developing engine animation systems, and ideated on additional ways to help them approach Gold Master. Specifically for PU, the team spent time authoring new creatures. And here we are, the last section, VFX. <laughs> 
During November and December, the VFX team worked on structural salvage effects for the Drake Vulture and Aegis Reclaimer. They also provided effects support for new locations and existing location reworks, including several new derelicts and rappel, a, quote, rather hellish environment with the ground literally burning, end quote. Vehicle effects support was provided too, including for the Apoa Santak Yai and the Origin X1 series. Goodness. Okay, so there you have it. There was the Star Citizen monthly report read line by line with my reactions in place. Please go to the Q&A at the end of this show uh, and let me know if it's too much. We can do an abridged version. I am very open to feedback. Uh, the current feedback I have right now, again, is people want that. They want to be able to hear and digest all pieces of the report uh, until I hear otherwise, we're gonna continue mission. All right, later on the podcast, we're gonna quickly go through the subscriber promo. We're gonna go through a, a very fast EPTU patch update. Uh, the Arena Commander modes, we're going to go quickly through the Squadron 42 update, and again, we're going to end with the Whitley's Guide, the Reliant uh, lore drop. So here we go. Subscriber promotions. I loved everything about this. I, I truly did. Um, I'm not so much a fan of the ground vehicles, but I just think more game loops, more things requiring the ground assets, like getting to a bunker mission, the, the more that opens up, I think the more... Uh, palatable some of these ground vehicles will be for players like myself so when I see like the Knox or when I see uh, an STV I don't, know, I don't necessarily get super excited but it's not about that it's about the larger picture uh, the paints and how how the paints are changing it, the, it's not just like changing a panel to a color now we've got edging and flare so I, I see development happening across the spectrum and I think for me, that's what excited me the most uh, about the subscriber promotions for this month. It was really the paint. I, I loved everything about the paint. So let's go through this real quick. Um, I'll go ahead and read this. Yeah, I'll do it. They changed the layout of how the subscriber promotion site looks. So I think that's interesting. I'm glad I'm showing it to you on YouTube. Um, it's a little bit more succinct. And I don't know if that's necessarily what they were going for, but they achieved it. It's a lot more succinct, kind of to the point. Um, it's less like, here's a picture with a description. It's more, here's the description and scroll down if you want to see the pictures. So here we go. Happy New Year. We're kicking off 2024 by giving all subscribers a Castec Arms Devastator Whirlwind Shotgun out of the blue. To complement the FPS pump action, Imperator subscribers get matching Whirlwind paints for the Grey Cat STV, the Apoa Nox, and Tumbrel Cyclone series. Speaking of the Cyclone, the racing variant of Tumbrel's high-performance ATV is available for all subs to drive throughout January. Imperator subscribers can also take their whole crew out on an adventure in the Anvil Spartan. So something new, I think um, historically last year, uh, the subscriber flare was, was one ship regardless. It was just one ship, uh, but now they're introducing a um, Centurion ship to drive and then the Centurion plus the Imperator, so the two ships to drive. So that is something new. 
in-game rewards flare we already talked about the shotgun we had the whirlwind paint collection yes and then the paid item it's like what was it 16 dollars yeah 16 dollars and 40 cents was the finish line perfect collection Pay homage to classic racing looks and liveries with the Finish Line Complete Collection featuring paint schemes for the Apoa Knox, Turbo Cyclone, and Grey Cat STV in a special edition Bearing FS9 light machine gun. I'm going to cough real quick. Whew. All right. Everybody around me is getting sick, by the way, so I really hope subsequent episodes aren't me hacking away, um, like in the middle of the 20 episodes. I think it was like in the 20s, I was dying. Maybe it was the beginning of the 30s. I don't know. Regardless, back to the article. Uh, so the difference, the whirlwind paint is this blue, like beautiful blue. It is gorgeous. It's like a, oh, what's a good way? What's a good way of describing this? Uh, almost a teal. It's almost a teal. It's a light blue with like a dark blue. Well, let me go back. It's a dark blue with a light blue accent, but it looks stunning on both the shotgun and on the ships that they're applied to stunning love everything about it the finish line is a combination of yellows and whites it's mainly yellow with white accents um i would not spend 16 dollars on this that's my personal opinion um i don't know yellow is just not a, a color for me that's that's really what it amounts to really no critique from there so on the website again this is different um it gives you the description like the narrative pieces that describes everything and then you've got the uh what we call a um we call it a scroller on amazon like amazon's website um you've got a scroller where you can go left and right and see the available items to buy from the store cool awesome and then it goes to the vehicle of the month so it starts out with the cyclone rc which is the centurion vehicle and then when you hit right it goes into the spartan and you can view the offers on how much they cost so the cyclone rc is 65 dollars and the spartan is 80 dollars so pretty cool a little bit of a descriptor on both uh if you were interested in reading that back into the subscriber merchandise discount um i don't know i've never really found this like too exciting to go through uh they just cycle through what's available in their like material store like the actual hard assets and they they put special pricing on it so it's a little bit of a deeper discount so that's it I, i'm i again i am very happy with this month i i'm reading between the lines and looking at that whirlwind paint is is phenomenal uh, but i'm seeing the potential of what they can do with the paints moving forward uh, not so happy with the ships whatever i mean it's not always going to be the polaris that you can fly when it comes out like that's i don't i'm not expecting it to be uh anything huge these are free to fly for a month by the way um i'm good with the paints very successful all right quickly transitioning over to the eptu patch notes again we talk all things news on beyond the verse so i'm going to go through this as a due diligence um but in the ptu right now there was an update they're still testing stability and bug fixing so nothing really new there uh there's a, a list of known issues but what did come out what they were able to fix was feature updates for locations quote increased damage output fire rates fire range and greatly increased health of defense turrets around the pu thank god uh there's a whole griefing story that i could get into if if i wanted to <laughs> um 
around uh, Seraphim Station and those defense turrets really not working. Um, so that was whatever. I'm glad they're addressing that. Um, I don't know if that necessarily plays into the bunker turrets. I don't really know that. Um, when I read this, I read it as the um, like space stations, right? Bug fixes. There were three bug fixes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Fix the PU mission feature AI, the, the, the melee takedown on NPC enemy doesn't count as a kill, so they fix that. Tractor beams, when multiple players interact with the same cargo container using a tractor beam, those players' tractor beams may no longer work correctly on that container. Good, I think that's important. And then uh, vehicles, after injury IFCS. Tier one injuries, uh, passengers take a seat and co-pilot or turret seat disables maneuvering of ship for the pilot. That's problematic. So thank you for fixing that. That's huge. And then last, technical. They fixed three client crashes and two server crashes. So, you know, again, um, people want the sexy, right? They want the sexy. They want a patch note to come out and say, look, we're testing the Polaris, right? Um, I think these are just as valuable. I think when you say that you're fixing three client crashes, two server crashes, you know, I'm reminded of the initial group that got me into Star Citizen. Um, we were having issues a year and a half ago where we couldn't even get into the damn lobby. We weren't able, we had a buddy of ours that couldn't even get into the game, right? Didn't even reach a 30k. They just couldn't get into the game, period. Um, this is after ticket after ticket and escalation after escalation. So the fact that we're, you know, a year and a half later, and it's a pretty solid state. I mean, I think all bias and white knighting and copium aside, the game's very playable right now. We we have been enjoying the hell out of our org nights. Go listen to the org night episodes. It's it's a shitload of fun. So I don't know these small server fixes, uh, client issue fixes. I will, I will take those any day, any day over nothing at all. Let's progress into the Arena Commander modes schedule. Last night's Arena Commander was phenomenal. And we're going to go through this article. We'll let this article drive our conversation. But I'm going to use a lot of last night. Uh, in, in in how I react to some of these game modes. So for those of you on YouTube, you're able to see my screen. It's nothing more than the Arena Commander modes schedule that came out on the comms, uh, the comms link. So feel free to follow along. Or if you're listening on podcast, I will continue to entertain you. Arena Commander is an all-action game mode featuring explosive ship combat, tense FPS battles, and high-octane octane racing good god new content is added each major patch including maps and racetracks while game modes are swapped out regularly we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback so let us know what you think about arena commander's numerous modes and match types in the dedicated spectrum channel it'd be really funny if i just went to that channel and i just linked them this podcast i wonder how many would listen uh here we go quick in and out adventures Star Citizen Alpha 320 introduced a major revamp to the Arena Commander game module, including unique experimental modes. These range from simple variants of existing modes to brand new experiences that explore new mechanics, locations, and in development features before they're released in the persistent universe. Our intention is to rotate these modes in and out of the game in limited time cycles. So for instance, right now it's single weapon elimination and tank royale. 
we did both last night. Um, but those will go away. I think it's on my birthday, January 14th. So on my birthday, January 14th, they're going to switch over. Um, but these will cycle through. And if you do, if you do all of them within a single patch, you get a badge, which is really exciting. But I'm pretty sure we get into that here in a second. Okay, so here's the schedule, and I was I was right. So January 7th to January 14th, which is two days from today, uh, it's single weapon elimination, which is the sniper rifle, hilarious, and tank royale. Let me drop this down. Single weapon elimination, uh, FPS base combat between up to 12 players. Fight for your life in this single elimination battle where every kill brings your team one point closer to victory. And then Tank Royale, tank based combat between up to 16 players. Score as many points as possible by defeating your opponents. So we enjoyed our time last night in single weapon elimination. It, it wasn't as fun for us as Gun Rush. There was something about the escalation of weapon use in gun rush that was attractive you know you start out with like a, a rifle and you move through a grenade launcher and shotgun and you end up with a knife and you have to make that last kill with a knife so gun rush was like super awesome single weapon elimination was fun because it was a sniper rifle in close quarters combat it wasn't always in cqc but but it was funny when it was. We got in some maps where we were indoors. And when, you, when you're indoors hit firing with a sniper rifle, things get really, really funny. <laughs> really, really, really funny. Um, I did well. Like, I, I finished second place. I think we did, I think we only did two matches. And I came in second both out of the 12 of us. Not a weird flex because Gun Rush, I was almost last. Uh, but I, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It added a dynamic of like me and a buddy of mine would be like, I don't know, 10 feet from each other, hacking away with a sniper rifle, just try, trying our best. We stood still and just trying to put rounds into each other. And I mean, it was, it was hilarious. It was funny to watch that happen. Um, I like single weapon elimination. It's a good way to really test out a weapon system. You know, you're not going to get knifed in the back when you're laying down with a sniper rifle because they don't have a knife. All they have is a sniper rifle. And so it lets you really become a, uh, I'm not gonna say like subject matter expert, but it makes you become more comfortable, maybe just overall better with a weapon system. And it kind of evens out the the fight, right? If everybody has the same armor, the same weapon, it's like a, it's like a really good equalizer. Tank Royale. This one was hard for me. Um, I, I mean, I loved it. I love the idea of it. I love the the cosmetics and like the environment that we were put in. And I know there's more than just the one map, but we really only played it the one time uh, because it was it was wonky. Um, you're you're soloing, you know, Nova Tank, and it's you versus the other eleven individuals. Uh, first off, the map that we were dropped on was riddled with massive boulders and like posts in the ground so trying to just move the tank from your starting location you know really going anywhere else um it was hard because my starting location was right in the middle of that i didn't get like an easy egress i was right in the middle of all of that dunnage um, and it was really hard for me to just get out so that's number one number two soloing the the tank 
like the cameras are, are pretty rough. So it's not as easy as like strafing like in a ship. Um, it's like a new way of manipulating ASDW. And then your mouse obviously moves, you know, the top turret, but it's very difficult to go from flying a ship to driving a tank if you don't have that practice. So this this is a good, you know, mode if you need to practice with the tank, obviously. Um, but heaven forbid you hit F4 and change your camera. The only way, as far as I know, in the 12 of us that were in game, the only way I know to get back into that that optimal uh, camera is you actually have to hold F, look down to your bottom left, and below the power on button is the enter remote turret. And so it's not as like, you know, hit button to quickly um, be third person so you can maneuver or outmaneuver your target. Uh, and then hit a button and go straight back into the remote turret. It's not that easy. You F4 to get that that maneuverability camera. Do what you got to do. F4 to get back into the cockpit. But then you have to spend time holding down F, moving your mouse, clicking on into remote turret. It's it's kind of wonky in that sense. Unless there is a hotkey I was missing, like a hotkey to quickly enter remote turret, um, that I am not I'm not aware of. So I'm okay with Tank Royale. Uh, I think it has some work to do on it. Um, or I just need to become better driving a tank. There you go. And that's probably it. <laughs> Let's move on. January 14th to January 21st is Elimination and Battle Royale. Elimination, FPS-based combat between up to 12 players. Fight for your life in single elimination battles where every kill brings your team one point closer to victory. Ship or vehicle-based combat between... Oh, I'm so sorry. That was elimination. Battle Royale. Ship or vehicle-based combat between up to 16 players. Score as many points as possible by defeating your opponents in tanks or ships. All right. January 21st through January 28th, Team Tank Battle and Duel. Uh, so team tank battle, tank based team battle between uh, two teams up to eight players each. Fight together in teams to score more than your opponents or beat the score limit to win. And then duel, ship based showdown between two players. Put your dog fighting skills to the test in an intense 1v1 duel. Last, January 28th through February 4th, team elimination and tank royale. Team Elimination FPS-based combat between up to 12 players. Fight for your life in Team Elimination battles where every kill brings your team one point closer to victory. Tank Royale. We just covered Tank Royale. So there are your... That's that's the Arena Commander game mode schedule for the um, experimentation modes. All right. Like I said, if you do all of... Well, actually, that's not true. I was going to say uh, you get a badge if you do all of these within one, and that is true. But this next section is just basic um, badges if you complete something like Pirate Swarm. So this is called Titles. Titles or Spectrum badges are labels with associated icons usually displayed next to a player's avatar and name on Spectrum. You can change your displayed title in your account profile. Rewards are disabled in offline mode. Players can obtain titles in many ways, including backing Star Citizen, participating in various events, and by playing Arena Commander. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six. So the first one, the 999th Teth Squadron. 
A player must participate until match completion in every experimental mode during this patch cycle. Note that leaving the match before the post-game scoreboard appears will not count towards the badge. Pirate Aggressor, that's completing Pirate Swarm. Vandal Aggressor survived 25 minutes in Endless Vandal Swarm. Uh, by the way, Pirate Aggressor unlocks the um, ability to buy the, the, the Gladius, the Pirate Gladius, and the Pirate Caterpillar. And the Vandal Aggressor unlocks the ability to purchase the Vandal Glaive. And the Glaive is a phenomenal, phenomenal alien ship. Master at Arms, win a match of Gunrush. All right, that's easy. Tonk Commander, finish first place in either Tank Royale or Team Tank Battle. And then last, can I unlock ships too? Yes. <laughs> By defeating the Pirate Swarm multiplayer match, uh, players can unlock access to the Aegis. We just covered all that. Uh, yeah, this we already covered. So there you go. Arena Commander game modes. Here we go. Let's get into each one of these. And I think this generates some really awesome, awesome conversation. And this first game mode is probably one of our favorites that we experienced last night. Arena Commander offers multiple solo and multiplayer experiences. To get started, click Arena Commander on the main menu and then select a game mode. These modes can either be a range of team-focused player versus player, or PvP, or PvE matches to test ships, vehicles, and FPS loadouts. For more information on how to play Arena Commander, head to our knowledge base. So this first one is Gun Rush. Quote, Gunrush is a free-for-all, elimination mode where the goal is to kill other players with each available weapon. All players will begin with the same gun and, upon eliminating other players, will cycle to the next gun in the list. The first player to score an elimination with all weapons wins. I love this. This was, like I said earlier, one of our favorite missions or game modes it, it is chaos it's crazy uh, but watching people run around with uh you know a shotgun or you know, i hated the pistols the pistols are like my least favorite it takes so long to get like a burst out um but it was it was a lot of fun again pure chaos if you're doing it with the right group that doesn't have emotional you know reactions to things and you're just going to cause mayhem gun rush is a, a lot of fun among friends and again we went in with 12 so we went in with 12 this is a 16 uh, person event so sometimes we would get four additional outsiders but for the most part the 12 of us were on comms and discord laughing our asses off experiencing what we love about you know halo call of duty battlefield etc this is by far one of our favorite modes let's move on control got some negative feedback about control here we go fps based team combat between two teams of up to 12 players each battle for dominance as you and your team fight and hold control uh hold the control points before time runs out um so this is like it's like domination uh if you're familiar with that um we went in to last night's arena commander with this being the first priority because we had a group of 12 so we were going to do our organization at 12 versus whoever else was going to be on the opposing team so we get into control and unfortunately the first match was glitched all to hell um 
we weren't able to leave the spawn point. So we spawned into, I want to say security post Korea. No, that was like the second map. I forgot where we were in the first map, but we spawned in and just, we could not get out of our area. So for 10 minutes, we were running around acting a fool. I think one of us uh, was able to get out and start capturing points. So we were able to kind of move and quote unquote, win the match. Um, so that was, that was problematic. The second problematic piece is like once we were killed, and this is in the next matches when we didn't have the, the spotting issue, in the next matches you would be killed and then when you go to redeploy, the deploy button wouldn't work. So we had a buddy of ours you know, recommend hitting escape to go to the escape menu and just hitting escape again to get out of the escape menu and that fixed it. But there was something wonky with you know, redeploying back into the game. So that that needed to be addressed. And then last, um, for the longest time, I think we tried three different matches. And for the first two matches, it was like all 12 of us versus like two or three. So I think this is a blessing and a curse. So we had 12 people, right? Like an entire organization filled out one of the teams. I don't think that that's a normal uh, occurrence in Arena Commander, but we fill out the entire team. It didn't wait for the other 12 to fill out, and so we were just dominant. Um, and I don't think that's the intention. At the same time, I don't think Arena Commander is so popular that we could have waited a couple of seconds and gotten the second team filled. I think it would have been minutes. It would have been five, 10 minutes before we got 10 other people to fill that second team. So again, blessing and a curse. It's the penalty of going in with a full 12 person party. Um, but kind of an unfortunate experience on the other end. If you're one of those two or three people on the opposing team, you log into a game wanting to learn control and there's 12 people against you and two others. That's not a good experience. That person will probably never play Arena Commander or Control ever again. Um, so I think that needs to be addressed as well. Don't know what the right answer is. Um, I don't know if it was a not enough people were playing situation, but I think if if, if they address those three uh, issues in Control, it'll fix, it'll fix a lot of the problem, in my opinion. Quickly going through the rest, um, Classic Race, Makes sense. Pirates swarm um, up a team of up to four players against a squadron of enemy pirates. You hold them off. You go through, I think, 10 phases uh, and you get your badge and you can buy the pirate Gladius. The endless vandal swarm is endless. It's infinite. You just go until you die. Uh, but a team of up to four players against a squadron of enemy vandal ships. You survive for 25 minutes. Uh, you get the chance of buying or getting the, uh, the glaive. So super awesome. Squadron battle. This looks like a lot of fun. We didn't do it because we had 12 people. Didn't want to do like two teams of eight, right? We'd have eight and then four. How do you determine, you know, which four goes to the other team? Uh, so we didn't do this, but squadron battle, ship-based team combat between two teams of up to eight players each. Free flight. We already talked about the experimental modes. Uh, single and team eliminations and then we have the, se uh, the seasonal events so citizens in 2954 celebrate many holidays that have parallels with our own including Cormor which is Valentine's Day Stella Fortuna which is St. Patrick's Day Day of the Vara Halloween and Luminalia the winter holidays 
Arena Commander is often themed alongside ongoing events, so check it out regularly. So Day of the Vara, your players are skeletons. Luminalia, your players have helmets that have um, ornaments and holiday lights um, on them. So Arena Commander kind of pulls in some fun into the verse, right? Because again, it's it's a it's the carefree, and I think we'll end on this note for Arena Commander. It's the carefree approach to Star Citizen. You get into the persistent universe, and everything is everything is precious to you, right? The gear that you've earned, the ships that you have, with claim times and everything else, all that is it's very crucial to you, especially if you have subscriber gear on. Because once you lose that subscriber gear, it's not until the next patch that you can get it back until freight elevators come out, right? So I think this is where Arena Commander shines. They bring in some fun events. They are able to do that because no one really cares at the end of the day. Uh, Arena Commander is going to be a very good, I called it last night, I called it a gateway drug. It's like the gateway drug to get people into the persistent universe. Right? The same way I think Squadron 42 is going to be perceived. Squadron 42 being a single player game, kind of like a Grand Theft Auto 5 or a Red Dead Redemption 2. It's going to be what kind of drives most of the population to the game. And then once they know there's an online version of it called Star Citizen, that's when we get all the converts, right? Especially if Squadron 42 goes to console, right? So if you get Squadron 42 going to console, that's, I think, what's going to bring most of the external players to Star Citizen. So there you go. All right, Squadron 42 update. So again, if you don't want to listen to the next couple of minutes to what we're seeing in Squadron 42, feel free to go to the notes, skip ahead. Um, we have the Whitley's Guide over the Reliant to end up the podcast, so feel free to skip to that. But the Squadron 42 notes, uh, this is important. I think that this is the year of Squadron 42. I think that CitizenCon in Q4 is going to be a launch party. It's going to be a Squadron 42 themed CitizenCon. I could be wrong. Here's the deal. If I'm wrong, who freaking cares? It's going to be another pyro, right? I think that's the, that's the trade-off, right? If you don't have a Squadron 42 themed, it's just going to be like last year's. It's going to be a repeat uh, of pyro because what else do we have look, to look forward to other than 4.0? And then that would make 2025 the Squadron 42 Citizen Con. So I think it's gonna be this year. And I think this is why this is why I go so hard into the um, into the monthly reports because there's little indicators of like teams moving. They finish an item and now they're moving to a permanent either Star Citizen PU team um, or they go to help out another team to finish up an item in Squadron 42. So I pay attention to these. I encourage you to do the same. If you're going to come along with me for the ride, it's just going to be like what we did at Star Citizen's uh, monthly reports. So here we go. Sharing my screen for those of you on YouTube. And again, this was an email uh, that I'm just showing through URL, but this is this was an email. So most of you have this. Briefings, AI features through November and December. I'm going to be reading this fast. All right. So here we go. Speed reading. <clears throat> here we go. AI features. Through November and December, AI features continue to develop a key combat encounter by improving locomotion and simplifying weapon firing to use the same subsumption control nodes as human AI agents. I have to clear my throat first. 
All right, here we go. Take two. Vandal combat encounters were also iterated on, with the team fixing issues with enemies entering combat and moving into melee range. They also implemented Vandal death animations using retargeted core directional human animations, which were then further polished. The Vandal execution takedown window was improved and telegraphed correctly to ensure players have the opportunity to escape. A range of other combat areas were worked on too, including changes to the tactical target query system, which can now spread targeting across a group but prioritize the player. A new cover, I'm pretty sure that's covert or cover. No, that's cover. A new cover tactical position query term was finished, allowing non line of sight cover posture queries, and an issue was fixed with characters and flow graph controlled non combat custom assignments not going into combat after exiting the assignment. Tech debt worked. Uh, wow, tech debt work was done on firing validation <laughs> to ensure that it better encapsulates the new debug render improvements. While synced melee attacks uh, were connected to the AI melee combo system, so that follow-up attacks can be data-driven. This is used in boss encounters to drive a follow-up sync weak attack if the previous one fails. Finally, for AI features, the team implemented a new invulnerability system to allow AI to take damage but not go below a specific threshold. This is used to script the various damage-induced stages of a boss fight without making the character completely invulnerable. AI Tech at the end of the year, AI tech progressed with features and support for release builds. For Boyd's, they close, uh, they're close to finalizing the first iteration that will allow the redesigners or the designers to place fish, rodents, burns in the environment. Recent updates include rules to avoid dangerous areas or actors. I feel like this is a copy and paste for Apollo Tools, AI tech, PNG files, several existing. Yeah, this is, yes, this is a copy and paste from the Star Citizen notes. Moving on to animation. Yes, all right, here we go, animation. The animation teams worked on player skill level animations such as takedowns, vaulting, mantling, and exercise, and continued developing first select animations to show off the unique aspects of the game's weapons. They also continued to develop the combat AI sets, including a unique boss fight. The social team worked alongside level design to add life across various chapters, which was supported by the mocap team. On the facial side, the devs continued to develop facial content for the cast characters and combat and social AI that drive the narrative. Features gameplay. Gameplay features spent time toward the end of the year looking at what's needed to implement some of their Squadron 42 features into the PU, including additional requirements not needed for the single player campaign. Most features are moving over smoothly. Though the new Moby Glass requires work to support existing apps not found in Squadron 42. The star map, and that's interesting. Actually, that's a really good caveat or, um, or a pivot. So everybody thinks, and I'm one of them, um, that Squadron 42's tools can just be a copy and paste. It can literally just translate over to Star Citizen and to the PU and it just be hunky-dory, right? I just showed my Southern <laughs> vernacular there. Um, but it's not the case, right? There are things in the PU that are needed that aren't necessarily in Squadron 42. For instance, general chat. So general chat in the Moby Glass, um, any sort of party, you know, indicator, different HUD markings for those of you in the party. I think all of this is a consideration for the PU that isn't necessarily a consideration for Squadron 42. This is one example. 
but that makes total sense to me. So it's not so much, hey, it's done, it's feature complete in Squadron 42, why can't we just have it in Star Citizen? It doesn't work that way, right? Back to the article. The star map is currently being polished, thank God, with fixes for labels and better transitioning between the solar system and minimap views. This was adapted to work well in the 2D vehicle multi-function display screens, MFDs, which will need to support multiple solar systems when Pyro comes online. There was also developments using minimap rendering inside the star map holosphere for the new landing UI so players can see the walls, floors, and ceilings in their ship's radar when coming in to land love it that is beautiful because i have to go into third person to see what's around me before i can land so it'll be nice to be able to see that rendering on your holosphere beautiful the character customizer was polished including better rendering for the head library grid the team also experimented with a different ui for face sculpting and made other general usability improvements they're currently looking at ways to better serialize the data and reduce size requirements the Squadron 42 front end received polish, with saved game profiles now displaying the relevant customized character and a dynamically changing environment depending on progress. Had a friend last night say, there's no work on the narrative, we don't know what the story is of Squadron 42. After showing them the video on CitizenCon, here is another update I would love to share with them as well. Gameplay Story a big focus for gameplay story during November was the Fortune's Cross level, including a scene featuring an NPC talking to the player with branching dialogue. Quote, This is quite typical of many of our scenes apart from the fact it is taking place on a moving escalator. Whilst looking into this, we decided to take responsibility for getting the NPC to traverse all four escalators in the level. This was quite a technical challenge that required a lot of difficult investigation. However, with some help from design, we were able to get the character to seamlessly enter and exit all four escalators whilst they were moving. End quote. Alongside this, the team worked on a range of scenes across various chapters, using new mocap, updating poses, and fixing problems. In December, Gameplay Story made several significant updates to scenes in Chapter 5. This involved using a new mocap to improve how two characters meet and walk upstairs at the same time, uh, the same uh, at the start of the chapter. New mocap. It's motion capture. New mocap was also used to animate four characters exiting a tram before six get on, which was a challenge for timing and space, but works well. The team also implemented a new dialogue-heavy three-person scene in the Shubin hangar and used additional motion capture to make a key character walk to and from a meeting scene in Chapter 4. Graphics and Visual Effects Programming at the end of 2023, the graphics team largely progressed with their longer-term tasks. For example, work continued on improving the visual quality of gas clouds through the addition of a directional occlusion effect. The gas cloud system output is also being unified with planetary cloud systems so the new cloud upscaling solution can be used by both. Pretty sure this is also a copy-paste. Yep, it talks about Vulcan, Planet Tech. Moving on. Level Design Level Design's social narrative team pushed on with Idris Interstitials. I have no idea what that word is. Prioritizing the med bay and corridor sections. And you know what? Defi I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, gonna, I'm doing this real time. 
I hate not knowing, so we're gonna do define interstitials. Uh, <clears throat> it's an adjective of forming or occupying interst interst and interstice. I'm gonna look up that word too. Uh, living in spaces between individual sand grains in the soil or aquatic sediments. Uh, the interstice, interstice, an intervening space, especially a very small one. All right, there we go. Now we know. So level design, social narrative pushed on with Idris, that word, prioritizing the med bay and corridor sections and clearing out the backlog of bugs and tasks along with other miscellaneous blockers. Chapter one's javelin social section was also a key focus. Though a comparatively small section of the chapter, as the opening of the game, it's hugely important as it sets the scene for what's to come. November feature multiple ooh, November featured multiple reviews and several rounds of feedback, which led to the team tweaking content and adding new motion capture, with the latter making a significant difference in quality. In the past, mocap turnaround could be lengthy. However, thanks to the new on-site studio, content can be in-game within a matter of days. Chapter 4 was also a focus, which involves an NPC leading the player through the social area of a rundown stopover station. There was also a <clears throat> excuse me, there was also a concerted push on Arkin Station, which has hundreds of background crew going about their daily business. This involved collaborating with the AI content team, who have been striving to make the AI in these sections as convincing as possible. Narrative. Clear my throat. <clears> throat> Toward the end of the busy year in Squadron 42's development, the narrative team continued to support the editorial selects, selects for content shot in the summer and fall. Over the past two months, they worked with production to assess all tasks that are currently assigned to the narrative team to make sure they cover all known remaining work. These tasks might change based on continued development, but this process allows the team to figure out what they can jump into in 2024. The team also revised the script treatment to reflect any changes in the flow since the last version. Narrative continued to define the collectibles that will be scattered throughout the levels. Some of these are a little more involved than others, but the team synced with design and art to understand the number and placement of the various objects. Quote, as more and more content makes its way into the game, reviews of the various levels with the other teams will be important to make sure the intended tone is coming through. The social teams have been focusing on the larger social areas lately to make sure they feel populated and alive. End quote. Tech animation and VFX. That'll wrap everything up. <clears throat> The technical animation team spent the end of the year on deliverables for the content teams across both projects. These include an outfit manager that will put together or pull together a full set of assets for any character outfit in game, which will help the animation team author specific content. Previously missing from the pipeline, physics proxy tools creation was added for it an intuitive and streamlined way to create physicalized skeletons in Maya. An animation events editor was also added to keep audio linked to animations across projects. New ADB diff tools also helped. I think this is a copy and paste as well. But new ADB diff tools also help the devs track and diagnose problems with the complex XML format files that need historical context to be useful. A replacement for a very old tool set that validates content being exported from Maya was created. Uh, yeah, and the rest is a copy and paste. Let me see. Yeah, VFX is also a copy and paste. So there we go. And again, um, 
I will say this one more time, respond to the Q&A. Let me know if that's too much information or if you want me to just summarize moving forward. But I see the value at least, at the very least, I see the value of going in and reading it for myself. And we have made it to our final segment of the podcast, The Whitley's Guide, Reliant. So let me do a little bit of, I'm going to drink some water, I'm going to clear my throat, get into narrative mode, and we're going to learn about one of my least favorite ships. <laughs> ah, least favorite because, I don't know, um, I only like a few alien ships. I'm much more of a human alien ship fan. Um, but I feel like the alien ships are just, they're, they're hard to fly. They're hard to land, they're hard to navigate through tight spots, and the Reliant is especially one of those. So, here we go. Let's get into the lore drop for this uh, for this week. Here we go. Whitley's Guide, Reliant. Early Development. The Reliant light freighter and production variants are among the most successful spacecraft designs in the past decade. Although the model lineup debuted in 2946, the design story begins in 2910 with a uh, a technology-sharing agreement between Musashi Industrial and Starflight Concern and representatives of the Xi'an Empire. While the specific details of the Xi'an technology offered as part of the detail remain a trade secret, the ensuing debate over light spacecraft development at MISC MISC, is well documented. Prior to the agreement, MISC had primarily focused on its heavy industry division, or the MISC HI, responsible for the Endeavor, Starfarer, and the whole series. The license of alien technology represented a major sea change intended to introduce smaller personal craft in the vein of Robert Space Industries' Aurora and its associated designs. MISC supported several internal pilot projects to determine what shape these new spacecraft would take, with the ultimate winner of the process being the design that became the ambiguous Freelancer. However, the Freelancer was not the only project studied at this point. An alternative design, then identified as Ship B, proposed a much more radical adaptation of Xi'an design aesthetics in flight configurations. Ship B's project leader was Dr. Rico Norden, who had, transfer- who had transferred from MISC-HI after a lengthy career shepherding the whole sea through several major design revisions. Norden was insistent that his design was the superior choice to help the company to stand out from many new competitors in the arena. Ship B featured a wide, movable flying wing, design that was unlike anything built by humans at the time. In addition to the visual connection to the Xi'an technology, the company hoped would put... The company hoped would put its 
spacecraft uh, ahead of its competitors. Norden argued that Shipby's unique design would allow it to maximize cargo storage while permitting the use of smaller landing pads. The proposed design, he further argued, could even rely on traditional flight aerodynamics during emergencies when in atmospheric mode. Norden campaigned ceaselessly for his selection, calling in every favor he had earned in his long career as one of the company's senior engineers. His campaign was ultimately a failure. The executives instead decided on the more traditional freelancer outline as their platform, intending to slowly ease the use of Xi'an technology and design mechanics into the human sphere rather than rush ahead with the potentially off-putting alien design language. Feeling humiliated from his failure to convince supporters of the value behind his design, Norden chose to transfer back to Misk HI rather than work on the, com the competing design. After another failed attempt to revive the wing design on a larger scale, he retired the following year. A quarter century later, Misk was an inviolable was in an inviolable position. The technology lease agreement with the Xi'an had continued successfully. There was a steady call for HI ships, and the Freelancer had been established as trusted spacecraft for hauling, exploration, and more. With a steady flow of capital, the company had a newfound desire to further encroach on RSI's everyday spacecraft. The team quickly decided that the climate had changed in two plus decades and that there was a call for spacecraft that stood out and embraced alien design elements. Working from the original Ship B development work, the newly titled Reliant Team developed a smaller version of the original flying wing freighter intended to appeal to independent pilots starting their careers. Though an unusual silhouette, the design was extremely modular, with the development of four different variants happening almost simultaneously. The Reliant program began in 2942 and concluded with the premiere of the first production prototype in a ceremony on Saisei in 2944. Clearing my throat. Initial development proceeded rapidly thanks to existing work on aerodynamics and results from an early jump point tunnel studies for Ship B. MISC's deal with the Xi'an government had continued to expand over the preceding two decades, allowing more innovations to be included than were integrated into the original freelancer or planned Ship B. The first prototype successfully left the atmosphere in April of 2945. The process was surprisingly flawless for a ship that would have multiple flight modes and such a wide variety of intended roles, with development only slowing during component integration due to transponder issues stemming from the need to protect a shorter, wider ship than off-the-shelf technology had been intended for. These and a limited number of teething issues relating to the spacecraft flight mode transitions were resolved successfully and the Reliant continued to hit milestones until its formal reveal the following year. Guest of honor at the 2945 product launch ceremony was Dr. Norden who, in his retirement, had been fully unaware that his cherished vision of a wing-based freighter was finally coming to fruition. Tears in his eyes, 
Norton witnessed in awe as the descendant of Ship B came into view. Variants. Sorry, for those of you on YouTube, like, <laughs> I'm dying over here. Ugh. All right. <laughs> Variants. After an additional period of spaceworthiness, testing, and formal certification of the production prototype, MISC would go on to formally launch the Lion as part of their 2946 lineup, offering all four of the variants developed during the research period. The initial prototype would form the basis of the Reliant Core, which MISC would premiere as a mini-hauler, referring to its smaller stature than the whole line. Owing, owing to its unique silhouette, the Reliant Core could store more standardized cargo pallets than similarly sized spacecraft, an appealing option for smaller enterprises or private crews just starting their careers. The hope was to present the Reliant not as another alien oddity, but more as something representing the next evolution of human industry, something the company would go on to repeat throughout the design's rollout period. Owing Owing to the overall development timeline, each initial variant would share the same chassis as the core. To develop the remaining three variants, a number determined by the available production lines at the line or at the time, MIS created three focus teams tasked with looking for holes in available spacecraft lineups to try and create unique variants to fulfill these niches. The teams focused on reviewing high volumes of news stories and interviewed existing ship crews to determine where they found the experiencing lacking. Number one, the easiest to determine was the Tana, a military-focused model intended to uh, intended for remote frontier garrisons unable to operate top-of-the-line Anvil or Aegis hardware. The focus team concluded such locations would benefit from a ship that would that would double as an interceptor for fending off raiders and as a low-level hauler. The sin was created in response to interviews with Endeavor science crews, who professed a need for smaller, more maneuverable support craft that could be fitted with specialty hardware for outbound scientific operations. The final version was the most unexpected, the Mako, the Mako was intended for news organizations broadcasting from space. The need for the Mako was determined by a lengthy review of Spectrum broadcasts that identified the low-quality video from combat incidents and the significant increase of such incidents in the first place. For the Reliance formal rollout, MISC opted to avoid marketing the Xi'an connection or the similarity between its flight modes to those of the Cartel All. Instead, the company opted to follow in the footsteps of its highly successful Built for Life campaign and position the Reliant as a working spacecraft. To promote this, the company wrote off a production run of ships and donated them to various companies and professionals, each accompanied by a documentary film crew. Four coal, <laughs> four core haulers were offered to a pair of companies seeking financial uh, financing for short-term shipping routes. A pair of Makos were donated to the top two major broadcasters on Terra. A Sen was dispatched as part of a Solar Corona survey expedition, and a half-squadron of Tana was given to a group of colonists preparing to settle a frontier moon, the location of which was unidentified in the marketing. 
as the donated ships made news wherever they went, and in some cases broadcast that news themselves, the net impact was impressive, giving the public the sense that these new spacecraft were suddenly everywhere. MISC dealerships were flooded with requests for more information, and the Reliant quickly became the company's most successful original spacecraft launch. By the second model year, the Reliant had settled in as one of the company's most desired models. No small task for the ship that followed, the famed Freelancer. And I just realized I was not sharing my screen through that entire moment, but it was just words. <laughs> oh, man. That, uh, this was a long podcast. It's one that I, um, I knew it was going to be quite the, quite the work <laughs> to get through all the patch notes, uh, to get through all of the monthly reports, and to get through the Whitley's Guide. I was actually going to get into the lore of uh, the Red Festival and the Lunar New Year, but that is actually going to be the theme for next week. So next week, we will preview what the Red Festival even is, how it ties into the Lunar New Year, what it all means, and we will go back to 2022 and 2023 to predict what we're going to see here in 2024 for that festival. So I hope you're along for the ride. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, would will be shorter. It's it's got to be shorter uh, than this episode, just because we're not going to have monthly reports. So, thank you so much for spending time. Respond to the Q and A and the polls, so I get a good idea of what you want to continue listening to. It's super important to me. I want to make sure that that you, the listener, who I create this for, has a seat at the table, a voice on what you hear and what I produce for you. You've been listening to Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen Podcast. Again, my name is Solus. It's been a blessing sitting here with you today. You can get more involved in the conversation with your questions, your comments, concerns, hell, emotional outbursts <laughs> by emailing us at contact at beyondtheversehq.com or like I've mentioned many times, interacting with our Spotify Q&A and polls at the end of each episode over on Spotify. Join our endgame organization called Soul Provision by applying at www.robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash provision. You can watch our video replays over at YouTube at forward slash at BTV underscore cast and follow the conversation over at all socials forward slash BTV underscore cast. Once again, thank you for joining us. I hope this finds you well, and until next time, safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse. Take care, everybody.